Good morning. Everybody can hear me all right? It's the, the first time in 30 weeks that I've said that to you on a Sunday morning. So it bears repeating, right? Good morning. Um, I've been uh, excited all week to, uh, to be together today, uh, to be able to gather with you to just enjoy uh, one another's company, uh, to experience um, uh, our identity in Christ as a family. And uh, so much of that reality, that it, it's not that it goes away when we're not together, uh, but we don't maybe sense or feel uh, the gravity of, uh, the, of that reality when we're apart. And so um, I've been anticipating uh, feeling the, the, the gravity of our connectedness in Christ and uh, an ability to watch kids run around and play uh, untethered. <laughs> um, and, uh, and to see your faces and, uh, and to preach live. Um, I've, I've missed that very much. So, um, so the Blue Jays at my house will just have to fend for themselves this morning because we're all here today. Um, so we are, uh, we are in part two of a series that we started last week that we are calling Embodied. Uh, and, and what we're doing in this series, we're, we're, we're looking at Romans 12 through 15, and we're, we're looking uh, to live out the genuine love of Jesus in a partisan America. I said last week that we are calling out the elephant and the donkey in the room, and we're doing it through the lens of Paul's vision for uh, a Christian community in the midst of a divided Roman Empire. Um, so what I was saying is that this, uh, this idea of a genuine love in a partisan world is, is critical for us in 21st century America. Uh, Stanley Hauerass said it this way. He said, in the 20th century, Protestant Christians set out to make America Christian and ended up making Christianity American. And I think he has a point. Um, I think if we take a look, an, an honest look at America, we don't see so much a zeal for the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount as, as much as we see a zeal for individualism and Christian nationalism and partisanship. And so we have to ask our question, what, when Jesus said you can't serve two masters, that you'll end up loving one and hating the other, what does that mean for us as a Christian community in the 21st century America? And the only way to really love our country is to regain an imagination for what it looks like to embody God's genuine love in a way that resists uh, the ways that America tries to co-opt our faith and conform us to thinking about the gospel as Americans rather than thinking about America through the lens of our gospel-shaped identity. And so we need a new imagination uh, that offers hope and transformation to the polarization that we see as we look around us. And it's a work that begins in us before we can ever hope to see it in our community. We have to embody the love that we want to see from our world. That's the way that God works. And so we're reading Romans 12 verses 9 through 16 this morning. If you want to follow along, you can open it up in your Bible app or you can just listen to me. But Paul says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. 
be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Family, we proclaim this good news this morning, that through Jesus, God has made a new way for us to join him in the joy of a fully integrated life. A life that loves without hypocrisy, not treating people according to how much they deserve or how much they can offer, but according to how much they're accepted in God's new family. Where are you allowing the hypocrisy of meritocracy to infiltrate your life? Where is the world's disintegrated love imposing its pattern onto the ways that you love your neighbors, your brothers and sisters, and your community today? Repent and receive the good news of your place in God's family and allow the Father to reintegrate your life and your love under the reign of King Jesus. Paul is addressing a reality uh, that was just as true in the first century as it is uh, in the 21st century, that we are always being discipled. You and I don't, we don't live in vacuums uh, where we are sort of neutral until we become disciples of Jesus. We are discipled by our environment. We are trained uh, in a way that we are, are, are supposed to live, or at least we think we're supposed to live. And one of the ways that the world conforms us to its pattern, one of the ways that it disciples us, both back then and today, is that it tricks us into privatizing our faith. And I, what I mean by that is I, I don't mean that, that our faith is no longer personal, but it, it tries to make it private. In other words, uh, it tries to get us to put a firewall up between our spiritual lives and our real lives, between our religious activity and our everyday activity, between our life with God and our life with each other. And this pressure to privatize our faith, it leads us to become disintegrated, compartmentalized and fractured in the way that we live as Christians. We end up doing crazy things like praying for our own forgiveness, but not offering it to others. You see what I'm saying here? But the Christian life is always meant to be a holistic life. It's a life that's fully integrated under the banner of God's love and under the reign of Jesus. This is why, the Jesus, why Jesus taught that the greatest commandment is one commandment with two parts. It's to love God and to love people. Because we're always prone to disconnecting those two things. And Paul knows that. Uh, this is a, a, a temptation for Christian communities as well, um, especially for communities of Jews and Gentiles. And that's why he says in verse 10 and 11, on the one hand, be devoted to one another in love. And on the other hand, be zealous for, for God. 
In other words, don't, don't say that you're zealous for God if you aren't devoted to your brothers and sisters. Because your zeal for God is shown by your devotion to them. And your devotion to God is shown by your zeal for your brothers and sisters. The two go hand in hand because you're one person. You're, you're an integrated whole. You're not two people. You're one. And so what Paul is in this little section here, we often think of it as sort of a random list of good things that Christians should consider doing when they get around to them. But Paul is, is offering these disintegrated people who are full of hypocrisy, full of double-mindedness, double a way of becoming whole again, a way of reintegrating their life under the love of God. It's the life that's full of this good news today. That through Jesus, God has made a way for us to join him in the joy of a fully integrated life. A life that loves without hypocrisy, not treating people according to how much they deserve or how much they can offer, but how much they're accepted in God's new family. And so repent and believe the good news that, that your place in God's family as beloved children is secure. And so allow your heavenly father to reintegrate your life and your love under the reign of his son today. Paul starts this whole section with a, with a truth about love. He says that love must be sincere. Um, that word sincere doesn't just mean like heartfelt, you know? Like when somebody does something really stupid, be like, yeah, but they did it sincerely. You know, like we sort of use that as like a qualifier over people that do dumb things or think dumb things. That, well, at least they were sincere in their belief. That's not what Paul is saying. The, the word sincere means to be integrated. It means to be whole. Uh, some of your translations will say to love without hypocrisy. And he's, what he's, he's, he's touching on something where he says, if you don't integrate your spiritual life in your real life, if you allow this to persist, then the consequence will be that your love will be insincere. It will, it, it will, it, it will have hypocrisy embedded into it last week we talked about two ways that american culture has sort of hijacked our faith to its pattern we talked about capitalism and we talked about political partisanship that was fun right it's not going to get any easier today i'm sorry to say um but these are there's systems that that allow our lives and our love to become disintegrated they put up blinders so that we, so that the outcome of our life ends up being polluted by hypocrisy rather than the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. And so I, I'm going to pick on another uh, pattern. If that, are you guys okay with that? All right. Um, it's a pattern that hijacks our faith and, and does work in us that we don't realize. Um, so we're going to learn some new words today. Maybe these are new to you, but the, the first of these words is meritocracy. Anybody know what a meritocracy is? Yeah. Yeah, it's a system based on your works. Um, so it's, it's the belief where you get what you give, where your the output equals your input. 
that if you live a good life, it's because it's because you lived a good life, right? Uh, which means that the opposite is true of, as well. If you didn't live a good life, then you you probably don't experience a good life. It's a system that esteems personal responsibility and it claims to treat everyone fairly on the basis of their merit. That's a meritocracy. Now we think as Americans, what could possibly be wrong about that, right? Um, and it's not that it doesn't have its benefits. In the same way that the free market and, and um, the, our political system in this country, they aren't inherently evil. They're bad by nature. I mean, democratic republics and businesses, they should probably run off the idea that hard work can, should be rewarded, right? That's not a bad idea. But we have to take into consideration the fact that meritocracies also do work in us that is completely antithetical to the gospel of grace. They do something in us that we may not be aware of, that ends up leading us to love insincerely rather than with full sincere hearts. And I'm, I'm thinking of two primary ways. There could be a thousand more, uh, but two ways that, that this idea of a meritocracy sort of hijacks our faith. The one is that meritocracies lead us to see people for their utility value, what they can do for us. And secondly, meritocracies lead us to gaslight those who suffer unjustly. Now, there's the second um, um, word of the day. I'll explain that in a second. But the first is that they, they lead us to see people for their utility value. In other words, we give and we withhold honor and love to people on the basis of what they can do for us or for people like us. And so for those of us, for, for those whose uh, utility value is high, in other words, they can do a lot for us, we end up esteeming them highly and we treat them well. But for those who don't hold that place, that, that can't do as much for us, that, that are opposed maybe to us, politically, value-wise, lifestyle-wise, we don't have as much to offer, we treat them poorly or not, or we, we, um, we treat them with silence. This is a problem in America. Um, Lifeway, uh, a Christian publishing company, just did a research poll and they asked evangelical Christians around the country this question, who do you hope your presidential vote benefits the most? I'm going to say that again because it's super important. As you think about the candidates that you're going to vote for, who do you hope your presidential vote will benefit the most? The two highest categories. At 41%, the highest category was people who are like me. The second highest category at 20% was me and my family. The one, the, the, the responses that were at the bottom of the list at 9% is people who are different from me. And at 15% is people our country has failed. 
9 and 15%. That means that two thirds of American evangelicals put themselves or the people that are like them first when it comes to how they think about public policy. Brothers and sisters, we have a love problem in this country. It's an insincere love when we love people differently or when we think about how we order the world around those that can benefit us directly or people who are exactly like us. Rather than trying to order our world around those who may need help the most. And we use our own merit to privilege those who can will reciprocate our honor. Those who agree with our political agendas, those who hold the same values that we hold, those who will repay us with benefits for the love that we give to them. America is full of disintegrated people who think about the gospel through the lens of Americanism rather than the other way around. See, in Americanocracy, we love and honor those who do well, regardless of what they do to those who aren't like us. In a meritocracy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I mean, it should not take a whole lot of explanation to see that this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul quoting Jesus says that we should love our enemies, that we should be full of sincere love without hypocrisy, that we use the honor that God gives us as sons and daughters not to look out for our own interests but for the interests of others to need that honor and that respect and that esteem whom the world does not give it to. He says, offer hospitality. We, we talk about that word a lot here. And it's the, it's the Greek word um, philoxenia, which literally means to love strangers as brothers. To love strangers like they're part of our family, like they have the place of honor. And this is crucial because in a meritocracy, it disciples us not to philoxenia, but to xenophobia, which is the exact opposite. It's to fear those who are unlike us. It's to see those who are unlike us, who hold different values and different stories as a threat to our way of life rather than image bearers of God who need to be loved for who they are. The gospel says, treat strangers like brothers and sisters. Practice hospitality to all, not on the basis of how they will benefit you, but on the basis of how you've been treated in Christ. You had nothing to offer God when he gave his life for you. Only to be full recipients of his grace and filled with his presence. God in his love towards you turned an enemy into a beloved child. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. The second is that it leads us to, to excuse and dismiss, to gaslight those who suffer unjustly. Um, this word has been thrown around a lot. If you if you kind of pay attention to any media, which I'm not I'm not sure you should <laughs> these days. To be honest with you, um, I don't know if it does good things for you. Um, but the idea of gaslighting is is to claim that you love someone with your words, but you're unwilling to see and acknowledge the trauma that has put 
someone in the position that they face. It allows love to remain a feeling that makes you feel better for having that feeling, but it doesn't, it doesn't move you to act in a loving way towards another person because there are stories that we tell ourselves about why people experience the negative things that they experience. I hesitate to give you examples because they're so politicized. But I'm gonna do it anyway. So bear with me. Uh, gaslighting is when we watch innocent children ripped from their mother's arms at the borders of our country while they're seeking asylum. And we shift blame onto them because they came to our country illegally rather than through the proper channels. We, we low-key shame them for the fact that they're at the border rather than, than understanding their situation from the inside and asking, why are you here in the first place? And how can we help? Gaslighting uh, looks at abortion statistics and it assumes that the vast majority of cases are, uh, is, are because a child would be inconvenient to the mother rather than looking deeper to see what conditions would lead a woman to make this horrible choice in the first place. Gaslighting looks at the black community and says, the reason that they face the problems that they do is because of a lack of personal responsibility. Rather than 400 years of slavery and redlining and Jim Crow and mass incarceration. Who's uncomfortable right now? Gaslighting looks at the life of George Floyd. And it asked the question, maybe there were drugs in his system that caused his heart to stop rather than the knee that was on his neck. Gaslighting looks at Brianna Taylor, who was shot seven times in her own apartment. And it says it was probably because her boyfriend shot first rather than the no-knock warrant that was unjustly served against her. Now we're all really uncomfortable. In other words, when bad things happen to people, we assume in a meritocracy that they're bad people. We assume that they were somehow lacking in merit and therefore even partially deserved what came to them. And this gives us the justification we need to disassociate ourselves from them and their experience and to remain silent and inactive. We have a love problem in this country. It's the very opposite posture to the one that Paul calls the church to when he says to mourn with those who mourn. And do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In other words, don't, don't gaslight people in low positions. Don't become conceited to think that, that if others work just as hard as us, then they would have the life that we have. 
Paul says that life is so much more complex than that. Just mourn with those who mourn. Mourn with those who suffer without the need to low-key shame them for their suffering. Empathize and ask yourself why it is that you don't understand their experience. The fact that these topics seem scandalous to us is evidence of how compromised we actually are. But I just want to encourage you, this would be good news. We are not called to defend America's jacked up ideas of love because we're not the ones who invented them. We're called to, to we're free then to call them out for what they are. Not because we hate America, but because we're called to love America. We're called to pray for it, to operate according to the kingdom love of Jesus. And part of that love is naming what's wrong. The good news that we proclaim today, family, is that through Jesus, God has made a way for us to join him in the joy of a life fully integrated. A life that loves without hypocrisy. So brothers and sisters, we don't treat people according to how much they can offer us. Because in Christ, God himself cares and serves for our very needs as his beloved children. Friends, we don't treat people according to how much they deserve. Because in Christ, God has brought himself low into our position. So that he could give us what only Jesus deserves. And so family family of God. We treat people according to the welcome of God, the offer of a new family. Where we're all equal before him and before one another, because that is what we ourselves have received. Not because, our, because of our merit, but because of Jesus's merit given for us. Amen? And so where are you allowing the hypocrisy of meritocracy to infiltrate your life? Where is the disintegrated love of the world imposing its pattern onto the ways that you love your neighbors, your brothers and sisters, and your community? Repent and receive the good news of your place in God's family, secure forever, and allow the Father to reintegrate your life and your love under the reign of his son today. So hypocrisy not only allows us to love in a disintegrated way, but it fractures our own lives. And I'm convinced that God wants to put us back together again. He wants to reorder our lives and our love so that we can be a city on a hill that Jesus spoke of to a dark and disintegrated world. Let's pray and ask that you would come and do that. Father, we, we, we come to you this morning as disintegrated people. People whose ideas about the world have been hijacked by the country that we live in. And it's not that our country has all bad ideas. But Lord, you want to renew our minds in the ways that it's given us ideas about what the good life is that are far less than the kingdom of God.
Jesus, would you come and be with your people today? Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Not with, uh, not with contempt, not with disgust, but with sincere love. We want to be the kind of people that honor those who need it above ourselves, who practice hospitality, who aren't conceited, but associate with people of low position. We cannot do that apart from your work, Jesus, in us. And so we give ourselves to you again, asking that you would reorder our lives according to your love. We pray that you would get the honor and the credit for that work. And we pray in your name. Amen.